So now for our scripture reading to the Gospel of Luke and the 23rd chapter, the Gospel of Luke and the chapter 23. And we commence our reading at the verse 32. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23 and verse 32. This is the word of the Lord, let us hear together, God's holy word. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? seeing thou art in the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw that what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the woman that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And may the Lord be pleased to bless the public reading of his precious word. This night, let us pray. Well, dear friends, I'd ask you to please turn your very prayerful attention to those words that I read to you earlier in the Gospel of Luke and the 23rd chapter. We have been considering over the last few weeks questions found in Scripture. And some of them have been, we must admit, very different in nature. We've seen questions asked by God. We've seen Questions asked by man, some of them are exceedingly searching, and they cause us to search our own hearts. And I trust tonight as we consider another question found in Scripture, 
This will cause each and every one of us, saved or unsaved, to search our own hearts. It is the question that is posed by a man that is saved on the cross. And he turns to his fellow malefactor upon the cross. We read in verse 39, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? And that's really the question. And he adds to this, Seeing thou art in the same condemnation. He is being condemned as a criminal, as a guilty man. And he says to his friend, as we will see elsewhere, we are suffering our just condemnation. But this man hath done nothing amiss, referring to the Lord Jesus. Now it should be very clear, we read earlier in this passage, there were three crosses there. There was the cross of our Lord Jesus in this very center. And there was one on his left and one on his right, crucified with him. And thus fulfilling scripture. In Mark 15, we read there, perhaps you wish to turn. It says there uh, that, uh, and with him they crucified two thieves. The one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. So scripture is being fulfilled here. And that scripture reference is really Isaiah 53 in the verse 12. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many. One man went to heaven that day with the Lord Jesus. His spirit went to be with the Lord. The Bible teaches very clearly that when we die as believers, our bodies go to the grave, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, and our spirits go to be with the Lord. But when the Lord comes, he shall resurrect our bodies. This is what the Lord Jesus teaches in John chapter 5. And our bodies and our spirits will be reunited on that final day when he will come. But on this day, one malefactor went to be with the Lord. And we have the affirmation of that, the Lord saying, today thou wilt be with me in paradise. So one went to be with the Lord, and one went to be cast into that place which the Bible describes as outer darkness, a place reserved for those waiting final judgment. An awful place. A place of abandonment. Now, you notice in chapter 23, verse 39, the word used there and one of the malefactors, the, the Greek word there used is the word kakurugos, which really means one who does evil. And we had also told elsewhere that they are thieves. And uh, one of them says, if you notice, uh, the, the, the one who answers his friend, who rails against the Lord Jesus, He says to him, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Now, the word, as I said, in the Greek malefactor means an evildoer. What exactly they were and 
What level of theft? Was it theft of life? We don't know. But whatever it was that they were suffering, and suffering capital punishment, it was for their deeds. And the one says, we can't argue with this. We indeed, verse 41, are suffering justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. He was a man who truly came to an understanding of his sin. That's the first thing. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And this man saw his sin. He acknowledged his offense. He acknowledges the justice of God against his sin. He wasn't just saying, he never said at all. He never said, well, the Romans are being unfair on us. But we are receiving our just reward. He acknowledges his sin. Whatever wickedness that was. But God is always perfectly just, isn't he? Always just. Now there's an amazing thing. In Mark chapter 15, you may wish to turn there. It says there that they that were crucified with him reviled him. That means both of them. There was a time when this one man was reviling with his friend. The Lord Jesus, railing accusation against him. It says, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. Now we are told explicitly in this chapter that there were only three at the cross. And also in Mark's gospel, only three hanging there. There were two crucified with him. But both railing, Mark fifteen thirty two, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. So both of them railing against the Lord Jesus. But all of a sudden there is an amazing change in this man's heart. He now turns to his friend and says, Thus thou not fear God. What's the explanation to this? God. God has completely turned this man's heart Around. And he is utterly amazed that his friend does not fear God. It seems to be such a startling fact to him. But just minutes ago, he was railing with his friend, mocking, jeering the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, my friends, here is a wonderful conversion right at the cross at Calvary. In this man's very last hour. Now I want to consider this question. Perhaps you're unsaved here tonight. It's a question that I put to you. There's an hour when you're going to face your last moment. Could it be today? Could it be tomorrow? Could it be the end of your life? We don't know the age of this man upon the cross. We have no idea. Maybe he was a young man. Perhaps one of those involved in the uprisings. There were many uprisings against the Romans at this time. Malefactors. Quite possible. There were those that were sort of renegades against the Romans. And Pilate was very severe with them. Maybe a young man. And the question could be put to you. You do not know. 
how long you have. The question is put, does not thou fear God? That's the most solemn question to ask. You say, what's the bearing and what's the significance of that? Well, it's great significance. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 3, you'll notice it is the mark of everyone that is not saved. We were meeting with the men on Saturday morning and preaching about the doctrine of total depravity. Man is, first of all, not as wicked as he could be because of the various restraints that God has put upon society and the such and the like. But man in his heart, you see, he does not acknowledge God in all of his ways. He lives with a clear revelation of God's creation every day. Heavens and the earth declare the glory of God day unto day. And yet, he has passed feeling, as Paul says. He's passed understanding. He, he shuts God out. And one of the marks is, there is no fear of God before his eyes. You just follow with me. Paul, in Romans chapter 3, he gives what we call the spiritual anatomy of a man. And he sort of does a dissection of a man from head to toe. And, and he explains exactly what a man looks like, what an unsaved man looks like. And maybe that's you here tonight. You're unsaved. You can be in church, but there's no fear of God. It's one of the marks. Notice, Paul here, what he's doing is he's comparing Jew and Gentile. And he, he says at the beginning of the chapter, he says, all have sinned, all come short of God's glory. None are righteous, no, not one. So every Jew's mouth is shut, every Gentile's mouth is shut. Is the Jew better than the Gentile? He says no, for all have sinned. And then he quotes from Psalm 12 and Psalm 14, verse 9. What then, are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved that both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. That's the natural man. He doesn't seek after God. Well, he might seek his own kind of God, the God of his imagination, the God he likes. God will provide him all the little things that once that he wants in this life, but not the true, the living God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now notice, he speaks there of the mind, first of all, verse 11. There's none that understandeth. The mind is under darkened. There's none that seek after God. The will is not there. Man does not have an inclination, a will, to seek God. Gone out of the way, verse 12. They become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. What's a sepulcher? It's where you put a dead man. The stuff that comes out of people's mouth is like a stinking, putrefying grave. 
What kind of words come out of your mouth when you're not around Christians? What do you speak? Do you speak deadly words? Do you speak evil words? Our words betray us. Didn't the Lord Jesus say, by a man's words, you should either be justified or condemned? He said, every idle word should be brought into account. Their throat is an open sepulcher or grave. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. See, he's moving down the body. He's moving down the person. Destruction and misery are in their ways. They seem to destroy. They don't seem to build up. There's jealousy, there's envy, there's hatred in the life. And the way of peace, they have not known. They don't know peace. There is Isaiah says, the wicked are as the troubled sea that can get no rest. And then the final word. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. What is the fear of God? It's a respect for God. It's to hold God in awe. It's to understand. Know that he is the God of heaven that has made all things. That God is not only omnipotent, he has made everything. But he is omniscient. David says, he knows my thoughts afar off even before I've thought them. He knows everything into the future. He knows all the past. He knows the future. He knows everything in my heart. And I live in a conscious awareness of that God. And I know that God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He can destroy me at any moment. And he's omnipresent. I can't escape him. There's nowhere. That's a frightening thought, isn't it? Dost thou not fear God? That's the question posed to his friend. But it's as if he was in a stupor until that moment. And there was a flash of change in his life. How do you explain that? Well, it is only explained by the very fact that this man has a new nature. You see, the Bible describes the lost, the lost as past understanding and past feeling. You know, we can be so drunk and inebriated with this world and our sin and Furthermore, Paul tells us that even Satan blinds the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine upon them. And it's a solemn thing to think that you are a sinner. And if you don't fear him now, and you can be ushered immediately in the next instant into his presence, Presence. Surely that is a solemn thing, isn't it? 
This man was at his last hour. I mean, if there was a time that this man should fear God, surely it would be right now. He could breathe his last. And yet he doesn't fear God. It's quite striking, isn't it? It's a frightening thing too when I think of Pharaoh. Think of Pharaoh and all that he was shown. Think of the plagues. It was inescapable. I mean, even Pharaoh lost his own firstborn son. Pharaoh lost his country. The Nile River was turned to blood. There were frogs and lice and locusts and the cattle were killed. And God had utterly annihilated the land of Egypt. And yet Pharaoh did not fear God. It seems madness to not fear God. But that's the madness of men's hearts, isn't it? Dost thou not fear God? Well, why should you fear God? First of all, because he is God. And there is none like him. And God made everything. And you can't escape him. You cannot, if you go across this world, get get, get in a boat, get in an aeroplane, travel across the world, see the wonder of his creation. Get a leaf, put it under the microscope. Look at a flower. Study a bird. Look at the animals. Look at the created order. Look at everything that God has made. These things declare his glory, his power, his wisdom. And nature is screaming, crying out, God is, and God is to be glorified. But you know, another reason you should fear God is because he warned Adam and Eve that the day that they sinned, they would surely die. And surely, every time you see a hearse driving down the road, and you see a procession of cars following them. What did he say to Adam and Eve? The day that thou sinnest, thou shalt surely die. You should fear God because, quite frankly, when you look at the world and all God has made in this world, you can look at your ancestry. It's always an interesting thing, isn't it, to do an ancestry study. We can read... Genesis chapter 5, and we see, and -and so-and-so lived and died, and -and so-and-so lived and died. And you can see all the generations, but you know, you can do the same with your own family line. Trace your father's family line, your grandfather. You can take your family right back to Adam and join with Adam and all of that, because you're all part of that line of Adam. And all die. And you will die. And you will pass this world. And the scriptures say it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. Dost thou not fear God? Every man must die. Every man will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not trying to 
Put the fear of God in you. Only God can put that fear there. Only God can make you fear him. I'm just trying to bring the realities before you. The psalmist says, teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. Friend, we're just here for a short time. And remember how the Lord Jesus said, to whom much has been given, much will be required. Remember how he said the judgment of those cities that heard his preaching will be greater than that of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah and for those cities that heard his preaching. Why? Because there are levels of judgment. I can't save you, but I must warn you. Preachers are called and commissioned by God to warn their hearers. We can't convert you, but we must preach the truth. We must lovingly warn you of the wrath to come. One of the marks of the unsaved, as Paul shows us there in Romans 3, is there is no fear of God before their eyes. They understandeth not. They don't want to understand. They will not. There's no light. One of the things about man you, you may wish to turn there, I've alluded to it a number of times before, but in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, chapter 9, he shows us the madness of man's heart while he lives in this world. Now, men live under the sun, and it's true that one event happens to all. Verse 4 of Ecclesiastes 9, For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. And then he says, For a living dog is better than a dead lion. I'll come back to that verse. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and hatred and envy is now perished, and so on. Look down at verse 7. Sorry. Verse 3 is the verse we're looking at. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun. That there is one event unto all, yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. After that they go to the death. There's madness in the heart. It's mad not to fear God. <laughs> you just say that. It's mad. It, it's, you know, you might look at somebody that has deficiencies and illnesses. You might feel sorry for them. But I tell you, there's no more thing pitiful than to see a man that does not fear God. It's the maddest thing of all to be surrounded with so many evidences of God and to have the Scriptures before you and to live in the mad career of sin 
and to pretend that you are actually even right now living without God. Let me say, you're not living without God. He's providing all things. He's keeping your life sustained right now. We read in Deuteronomy, Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He tells us, God says, their foot shall slide in due time. There is just in a moment, your foot will slide like this man on the cross into a lost eternity at any moment in time. This is why Job says, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace with him. Job 22, 21. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. The sinner is exhorted to seek the Lord while he may be found. And sometimes it's these entreaties that the Lord uses to awaken sinners. It's the spirit and the word. Maybe the Lord will quicken. But I must faithfully bring you to this passage and ask the same question as this man asked his friend, Dost thou not fear God? And the question was put to him, and yet he still went to hell and to a lost eternity. You see, the question can be put to you and you might comfort yourself. Say, yes, I've heard the question. But can you answer it and say, yes, I fear God. I fear him. He's not a God to be trifled with. The scriptures say it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Again, I can't save you. The scriptures say in Ecclesiastes, God doeth it that men should fear before him. And you might turn around and say, well, it's not my fault that I don't fear God. It's not my fault. There's a willingness, friends. The problem is your will. And uh, you're in your sin, as men are in their sin. Men can even know the truth. This man was right next to the very person who is God. And you can come to church and you can hear the word of God. He lost. It's a solemn thing. The scriptures say, ye must be born again. We pray for souls. God will do a gracious work and quicken sinners. The Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus, marvel not, I said unto thee, thou must be born again. Now we don't know what happened, but it seems that Nicodemus was born again in the end. It seems that. Because there he is at the cross, owning the Lord Jesus. There he is, drawing near to him. Look at this man who's a sinner dying. One has hope. Maybe there are some that say, well, my sin is too great. Well, look at what this man said to the Lord Jesus. Remember me. 
when thou enterest into thy kingdom. Remember me. He didn't try, let me say this, to excuse his sin. Did he? The man who trusted in the Lord. And that's really what I want to say. There is mercy with the Lord that he may be feared. This man who believed did not try and trusted in the Lord and who stopped railing against the Lord and who feared the Lord. He didn't say, by the way, when you get into your kingdom, remember, I was actually quite a good man. He just, he said, remember me, Lord. He realized he didn't deserve to be in heaven. Else he would have said something like this. Well, I stopped railing against you. Rather, he said, we have and are receiving our just deserts. He wasn't looking to be acquitted of his trouble that he was in. And let me say, everyone that is saved comes to the Lord not to have troubles lifted out of their lives. That's not salvation. Okay, that's, that's not salvation. Salvation is to be right with God. It's to have peace with God. To have forgiveness. Remember the prayer as we thought with Solomon this morning in 1 Kings chapter 8. Thou who art in heaven, forgive. And yet the man that has done a crime, he must do the time or he must face justice. The big issue is there is going to be one big day of justice. That's the greater problem, isn't there? This man, this other man, he said, get us down. In other words, I, I just want to get back with my life. See, he didn't really care about what God thought. And I'm afraid there, there are people who profess to be Christians and there's no change really in the life. He just seemed to carry on as if God doesn't notice the sin. And there's no pang of conscience towards sin. The Christian doesn't say, Oh, Lord, get me out of this trouble. Get me down from this cross so I can just carry on in my own sweet and merry way. You see, to fear God is not what to want to put a frown on his face anymore. To fear God is to love God and to honor him. Because the very one dying next to him was God. Suffering in the place of his people. He had to. Otherwise, God's people would face everlasting justice and eternal damnation and destruction. Do we understand that? Without Christ's death, God's people would face a second death. And you fear God because there is mercy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are to suffer anything in this life, It's because of your sin, and you justly deserve, and more. You see, the Christian is unlike this other man. He fears God. He doesn't say, oh Lord, 
Remember me when you get in your kingdom. And by the way, when you get in your kingdom, please get me down from the cross so I can carry on in my own sweet, merry way. The Lord's people, they turn from their sin. When you fear God, you have a different spirit in you. You have a different desire. You have desires to please the Lord. That's essentially what is at the heart of fearing God. To fear God is to know God. Solomon said, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and understanding. The fool says, I'll have my sin. Well, God says, you'll have your sin and you'll have hell too. Because who sins must suffer the consequences of it. But what a change in this man's life. What can the sinner only plead tonight? Forgive. Remember me, Lord. Look on me. We sang it, didn't we, in that hymn. Look on me. Look. This one man desired to go back to his old life. The one said, I have no hope but thee, really. That's all he was saying. Remember me. Look on me. Look at me, a no-hoper. Where's your heart? Is it in the world? If it's in the world, it will perish with the world. Pray God might break your heart. It's a question asked to you tonight. I think it's probably one of the most profound questions in all the Scripture. Dost thou not fear God? And I can put that question to the Christian tonight. Do you fear God? Solomon tells us at the close of Ecclesiastes, this is the summary of it all. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. What is it to fear God? To fear God is to love him. And to love him is what? Jesus said it. We should know it. If you love me, keep my commandments. See, to fear is never to want to dishonor him. And why would you want to dishonor God who sent his only begotten son into this world? And if you claim to be a Christian, and you claim to be the Lord's, and he's done so much for you, why would you not want to love him by keeping his commandments? That's proof, that's evidence. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Or this is, if you notice in Ecclesiastes, duty is not actually in the original, it's in the italics. What it simply means, this is the whole of man. I think it's actually better without the italics there. The italics is inserted by man. But this is the whole of man. This is the substance of man. This is what makes a man. You live for God. That's your life. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ. To live out his commandments, that's joy. I'll know peace, I'll know life, I'll know everything in my life, I'll know fulfillment of life. If I love God, and if I keep his commandments, I will enjoy him now, and I will enjoy him forever. That's the catechism question. What is the chief end of man? It is to fear God, 
and to enjoy him forever. To know him is to fear him and to love him. Dost thou not fear God? Think of it, how great God is. Think of how great God is concerning his justice. I'll bring you two points. Firstly, his justice. His justice is so great that he couldn't sideline it. Could he? Could God say, oh, the world has sinned? In the days of Noah, we'll just forget about it. Let the world carry on. No. It grieved the heart of God so that he had to judge man. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Just like this man on the cross, he found grace. And he said, remember me. Noah was put in the ark and the Lord shut the door. I said I'll bring two points. Think of the greatness of God concerning his justice. God completely judged the world. In the year, it's believed 1656 was the year of the flood. A complete deluge. Only eight souls survived. No one else lived. The justice of God. But think of the greatness of God in terms of his love. God, even at Calvary, could not bypass his justice. Justice was met for all of his people at Calvary. God spared not his only begotten son. And do you think he'll spare other sinners? He won't spare other sinners, but he spared not his son. On account of his people who believe in him, who trust in him. What love that was. Not only there do we see the justice of God at Calvary. We see two features of God. We see his justice. We see God not sparing his son, but delivering him up to judgment. But we see the love of God. He gave his son. So that this one malefactor could hear the words, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. He feared God. He respected God. He knew what he deserved. Both men, sinners, one lost, one saved. Dost thou not fear God? That's the question put to you, and it's also put to me tonight. It's a question I need to live in the light of. All my actions are tried by that question. Do I fear God? The scriptures say, by the fear of God, men depart from evil. The fear of God modulates our lives. The fear of God tempers everything. It tempers your tongue. It tempers even your thoughts. You have to, you quell your thoughts. You think, that's not a worthy thought. And if I don't deal with these thoughts... God will deal with me in my life. The fear of God is clean, enduring, forever. And you know, let me say this, the whole atmosphere of heaven is one of filial fear of beauty of God. Admiring the holiness 
and the wonder and the splendor of a gracious and holy God. Dost thou not fear God? You ought to. What a mad world we live in. What mad people getting up day after day. The alarm clock goes off. They're up off to work. They're like sheep going from one blade of grass to the next, to the next, to the next. And then suddenly they're taken out of this life. There is an end. It's coming. This man had his end. The Lord will remember them. Fear him. He feared God. If you fear God, he'll never forget you. He'll love you. He'll help you. He'll bless you in your life. This is all a man's life. There's no life, let me say, without the fear of God. You're living a half a life. You're living a lost life. You're living a foolish life. God is. You are. Because God is. He spoke you into being. He will take you away, as we read in Deuteronomy, with a stroke. Do you fear God? Fear him. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, says the psalmist and ye perish in the way. But blessed are all they that put their trust in him. This man did. Dost thou fear God? I leave you with that question, my friend. Give your soul no rest till you've answered that question. Honestly. Only God can work it in you, and I pray that he'll work it in you to fear him, to love him. May he even use this feeble, poor message to that end. I can't do it. Ask him. Go home and seek him with all your heart. Amen.